Hey folks, John from A's for Alcoholic again. Uh, today's conversation is with Laura Hug from the Keep Coming Back uh, comedy show. We discussed drugs, alcohol, pissing ourselves, puking, finding recovery, losing it, finding it again, um, and trying to find the humor in all of it. I think the thing that really struck me was the idea of the inner concession and that moment of realizing that the thing we're doing is finally not going to be doable anymore. It was a great conversation, uh, very entertaining, very informative, and very, very insightful. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Laura Hug. So Laura, thank you very much for doing this. Um, I appreciate it. I always enjoy speaking with comedians on uh, who are in recovery on the show. They definitely have um, interesting um, perspective on it all. And not only, I mean, we can all see the humor in it, right? But I think that it's definitely something that comes across uh, where you're like, yeah, how absolutely, at least for me, how absurd it all seems now in hindsight. Um, but do you first, mean what can I ask you? Do sure, you sure. what obscene, sir? Do you mean that when we were out there drinking or using and and other whatever the other things are that were? Yeah, yeah, the, the behavior. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever the cunning, baffling, and powerful, but it's just to me, it just seems absurd because I hear about um things that people are doing out there, and I go, oh my God, I can't imagine ever doing that ever again. Um, I mean, maybe I can a little bit, but like, it just seems just frightening to me. Um, but thank you for, for coming on and agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. Um, what do you, what is your earliest memory with alcohol? Do you remember it growing up as a kid? Was it in the family? Yes. Uh, I mean, I remember, um, What's my earliest memory? I mean, my I don't remember my first memory, but I remember um, my grandparents, like I stayed with them a lot. My mother worked, my father was not in our, they were not together by the time I was, con they were divorced when I was very, very young, like a toddler or baby. And uh, my father was gone for a long time for various reasons between my parents. And um, um, so I stayed a lot with my grandparents and my grandparents would have cocktail hour. Like, you know, they are not fancy. They're very middle-class Midwestern, but they would around, I guess, whatever the five o'clock, four o'clock hour they would have cocktails together, which actually now I remember is that's kind of nice and civilized, you know, like it's kind of sweet, you know? And my grandpa had these um, mid-century uh, steel shot, shot glasses that he would pour his drinks with. And um, I remember their glassware a lot now. It's funny, it's coming back to me. And I would go in and I would lick the shot. There'd be like always a tiny drop of, alcohol in there and I would go in and I would lick it out I like the 
smell of it. I don't know if he was a scotch or a whiskey drinker. I became a scotch out of the two camps, brown camp, brown liquor camps. I was talking about this with people yesterday. I feel like you're either vodka or gin or you're bourbon or, or scotch or you're whiskey or scotch. I'm scotch and gin. Um, both of which I, I often feel like I didn't get to spend as much time with as I would have liked. I drank a lot of beer, but, um, uh, and, or your vodka and whiskey. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the, the, I don't know what the studies say and I don't really need to know, but anyway, I digress. So you can see just the memory of it, like takes me to a place where I'm like, it opens up a whole world. Yeah. So I remember that. And I remember, um, a family friend giving my uh, them some apricot brandy and where that sat and every once in a while. I don't know if I ever drank it. Um, and uh, I mean, my I might have been given some and also at meals, I would get like a teaspoon of wine with like a bunch of water in a fancy glass at like a holiday meal. Huh. I don't know if you got that. No. And then Okay. And then that was something that they allowed me to have. And then, um, then my grandmother lay, I was a little older. She started pouring grape mad dog over ice cream. And she gave me some of that. And then my mother took me to this one restaurant and they had a Kahlua Sunday. And so now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, so I would get to have a Kahlua Sunday. They didn't see a problem with it and neither did I, but. Um, How old were but, you with it when this was happening? I mean, I don't know if I was maybe between nine and 10 with the mad dog over ice cream. I mean, there's so many things. It was like Briars, which is like the natural ice cream and then mad dog, which is like that is set, that models such a bizarre dietary and schizophrenic like um, relationship with food and sugar and carbs and alcohol. I mean, it's just like, you know, yeah. it's everything. It's like wearing, you know, a Chanel purse and Old Navy. I mean, it's just not, you know, neither one is going to matter. I mean, so anyway. Yeah. So I, and then the Kahlua Sunday was probably, I was probably preteen when we, cause I remember we lived in that neighborhood at that time where that restaurant was. So always there's been alcohol in my life and uh, I was given it in measured amounts or in controlled amounts. Um, but I always look forward to it, which one of my, um, I guess people, one of my spiritual advisors, one of my trusted uh, spiritual advisors in, in my various recovery uh, groups told me that alcoholics have a heightened awareness around alcohol. And so, you know, when I was trying to really see my alcoholism, um, I memories like that come up, you know, like yeah. remembering like, oh, when we go there, you get that. I mean, everybody probably has a thing where you're like, oh, when we go to so-and-so, we always get this sandwich or this is where you go and you do the thing, you know, uh, it's like a tourist destination. Yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, there's, there's all those little clicks of, 
of remembering the way that something might have tasted or felt or smelled or, you know, just that sort of that sensory memory that comes back with those things. And definitely like mad dog and ice cream. I have never heard that before. Um, I, wow. My grandma was always looking for inventive new snacks. I mean, food is definitely something too. We was a comfort and a weapon and a, yeah. was yeah. a crutch and a problem. So um, on top of being, you know, necessary for, for life. So right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think grandma was slipping at that point. Gra my grandmother was an alcoholic too. My, my maternal grandmother was an alcoholic and my mother was an alcoholic. So when did you first start drinking um, like alcoholically? I mean, I had my first drunk where I had access to you know, we, I had access to a large amount, uh, uh, and no parental and no authoritarian authority interference, uh, at 13. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I stole a bottle of wine from these people that were, um, in a party room in this apartment building where I was with my friends and, um, drink drink it with my friends and um I don't remember if we tried pot too I was 13 and I got wasted like completely I don't know if I blacked out I mean I must have I passed out I got sick and I don't know if I was black I wasn't moving so I don't know if that constitutes passed out or blacked out but I don't remember some of it I you know I went like a little wild and uh got sick and then that was my first and then they left they either went to hide or went to get help and then I was in this apartment building in like the hallways because it was this girl some girl my friend's friend and uh my the security guard found me and called they managed to find my friends and call my mom I don't know how and I got in trouble so and uh one of the things that I saw sitting in the rooms of a support group one time talking about drinking and recovering I remember it occurred to me that my that the characteristics of my first drink and my last drink were very similar in a lot of ways. So that like, I was able to see that my drinking really, really took me that I didn't have agency over it. And that my life was something that almost started happening between drinking and it was hard to see it because I was young you know, at the time I was like in my twenties. And so, and also I have very, um, I think like a lot of alcoholics, I have a lot of, uh, codependency. And so my, uh, my drinking and sometimes my consumption of substances was also directly correlated to wanting to get the approval of the people that I was with. Yeah. And, you know, either to make me comfortable or because they told me to, 
or also then because I wanted it. So it was hard to see that. Um, but yeah, my drinking pretty much didn't really change. I often went to it with a, a no plan or a loose plan or it came my way, but suddenly that's what I was doing until I was stopped in some way. No plan and loose plan sounds about right for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was just always, I, I, I feel like like everything, you know, obviously everything we did revolved around finding booze, but it was this daily thing of how are we going to get fucked up tonight? Like whether it be just got to get through work and then we'll get off of work and we'll take some tip money or whatever. I mean, I remember one point and we still joke and laugh about this because we went, we had at one house that I had, we had three couches and so we went and pulled all of the change out of three couches and got like this big case of beer and a bucket mm -hmm. of chicken. We were able to, we were able to manage that in whatever 1998 this was, but um, that that was the most important thing we were going to do that day was dig change out of the couch so we could get drunk and eat chicken. I'm so glad you got something to eat. That's not... <laughs> I mean, it, that's also a lot of change. I mean, I don't know yeah. what kind of beer it was, but like. It was cheap. I'm, su I'm surprised nobody. Okay. Well, I'm surprised nobody got that. That if there was that much money laying around that you didn't. Well, it. we would just, you would have any numerous amount of people who would flop on these couches in their clothes. I'm assuming now looking back that it was just change that fell out of everybody's pockets because they were passed out on a couch. Yeah. And you know, that I just, and I remember that because it was also, there was a planet of the apes marathon on like TNT. So that was the day that we got, it was change beer, chicken, planet of the apes. And so that's mm -hmm. very, <laughs> that now, was and the highlight. Like it, and if it could just happen that way, like <laughs> nobody would really stray from the plan or suddenly think, you know, what would make this better? Like an indoor bonfire or calling calling one of our jobs or going outside or let's try to huff this you know there's always some under the influence then right you're like so we're just gonna and sometimes you could just kick back and have a raucous time and maybe not, nothing really happened but who could really could you really you couldn't you didn't really have agency over it no, right it's absolutely like, not usually probably none of your other couch change picking chicken eating friends probably had any either no there was there was lots of there was lots of problems there were break-ins in the house and there was the cops probably being called. people you knew yes of, of course absolutely 100 percent. so yeah um so you you are you are going through this loose plan of drinking in your in your 20s and you said nothing really stopped you until the in teens 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 yeah i drank i still it's you don't owe me an apology but thank you <laughs> no i uh i drank so i drank at 13 and then i got in trouble a little bit and i didn't do it i didn't want to do it really again and then I, I don't know, I feel like um, I got drunk at 13 and I think it started showing up with regularity. It started to show up progressively. By the time I was 14, it was, I was one of the 
you know, weekend kind of bad kids or a, in a subset of them or, and, um, and then it stayed. And because I was in school and at home, you know, it was mostly weekend stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm a businessman and I (laughs) have to wait, (laughs) you know, hard day, but actually I, yeah. So uh, it was weekends and then it was drugs, mostly like weed and then LSD, maybe you try to do some weird shit like whippets or something. And then, um, that sounds very familiar, by yeah. the way. It was, there were lots of runs to the porno shop because that's where they sold the box of whippets and the balloon and the cracker. So okay. pe- somebody would make a run What's to the adult cracker? books. Um, a cracker is a, so it's like this little two piece metal tube that's maybe four, five inches uh, tall. And so it's, you put the whippet container in there, you put the balloon on one end, you twist it, that cracks open the uh, canister of air, which fills the balloon up. Then you take the balloon off the cracker and you can just huff it. Oh, okay. I, you know, it's interesting. I didn't do a ton of whippets, um, but I, I mean, also other people would help, you know, when it came to tools, I was like, someone's going to have to do this for me. You know, there was like, you, uh, you know, I, I sound very measured and like easy to be around, but we're not even getting into the behavior, you know, like the socialization, the, the monsters that, you know, the sad, happy, what's going to show up today. Yeah, yeah, what kind of what kind of behaviors like you just uh, manic like that you said or bipolar like sad and happy I mean, and I mean I I don't you know I'm just starting to sort of get a picture um, looking at what I was like before I started the drinking so I was trying I've been trying to see my temperament um and remember what it was like to be in my skin before I went to a drink so I was using a lot of other stuff though isolation and um you know pitting a a fantasy escape you know toys just like uh I don't know just dynamics within my friendships um to try to be comfortable in my skin so I think when I drank, it made me laugh and not care. Like a lot, you see a lot of teenagers or young people getting, they're like having a great time and they also don't care. And then there's always that one kid who like falls off a bridge or gets permanent brain damage or goats sent away, you know, maybe, you know, you are that kid or, um, and then of course there was, you know, sexual stimulation, dealing with puberty, um, these things that were happening and happening in me and everyone else. And you throw liquor on that. And I just, I think I was, um, you know, I just, you know, I drank it because it made me have a a fun time and um, I wanted to be, have a good time. And it was like, like an event or an adventure 
but then, you know, um, sometimes the a lot, a lot of the times the negative emotions would get in the things that I was hoping to change, like sadness or anger, insecurity, jealousy, those things just started getting in probably relatively soon. Like, yeah. um, and so for me, that's where those other things came in as, um, as an extra layer of trying to feel differently, think differently, have a different experience. So in including all of these things, all of these difficulties and struggles that um, we're going through as just human beings and then adding the liquor and making the mess of ourselves, um, was there a point at which some external uh, consequences arose? I mean- from either from from adults or from authority figures the law stuff like that yeah I mean I got in trouble with my parents they didn't you know want me to or my mom and then later on my stepfather came in when I was so but I still feel like I went out every weekend and I would come home and throw up in my pillow uh, in my bed it's a miracle I didn't choke to death um I, I mean, yeah, I had a bad reputation. I um, didn't participate. I got increasingly paranoid when I was sober. I had a bad, bad reputation for lack of a better way to put it, which I would say based on why I was labeled that way, I was probably deserved. I was definitely antisocial in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, some consequences for my sexual behavior, um, some, you know, uh, pretty extreme consequences there. Um, yeah, and then failing school, um, just not being able to go after a while being like, um, really, uh, like, to, couldn't handle it, like, uh, paranoid, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so I ended up failing the 11th grade and then um, leaving the school I was in, which I wanted to be there because it was an art school, like a performing and it was all arts and um, creative and performing arts. And, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't participate or if I started to participate, I had no, um guy I had no ability to see like a long-term plan or um or to also how to manage my emotions of like longing or you know desire also jealousy um fear I you know I just I didn't know how to manage that stuff so um, those, you know, those are, I mean, to me, those are sort of the long, if you live, if you're lucky enough to live, cause I have friends like you probably who died young. Um, then those that don't die young and live that way, it's like a long, slow death of your, the quality of your life. So, um, you know, I managed to go to another school and graduate 
Um, I didn't go to college. And then it was like a pattern of like turning down opportunities that would have probably improved or the quality of my life or changed the course of my life, but I had no ability to, um, no ability to sustain, to sustain my part in those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, it's a long winded answer. So no, no, no. Uh, it's just, I had a, 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 a moment that still fills me with a little bit of disappointment and regret. And I had a very close friend of mine in high school who went on to um, work with a pretty big uh, rock band. And I remember getting backstage, they were in town one time and we're all backstage and hanging out. And one of the things I always wanted to be was a radio DJ. And I volunteered and I did that like with a high school radio station, a college radio station years ago. And um, he's and he was like, I'm really I would love to introduce you to some of these people at this radio station and all this stuff. But you're just so drunk, John, I can't share. I can't I can't introduce you. And I was like devastated that I was just, you know, that missed opportunity that could have been any number of things. It could have been nothing, but it could have been any number of things. It just wasn't available to me because of my my alcoholism. Yeah. You know, because of my drinking. Yeah. I mean, I I look at that stuff like, you know, it's really, I mean, it's like for people that are alcoholic, you know, we have this like different, if you believe the like medical, medical view or the disease model, which does speak to my experience. It's like, I am, I cannot have any of it in my system or or otherwise it's all I want to do. Sugar is very close that's a very close cousin that I deal with now, but, um, but, and I think there's correlation, but I also think like hearing that it's like, you know, when people have to get wasted to show up to the thing that they really want to do, there's a tension within them that is, um, and in, it is, an innate disbelief in themselves uh, that has to be reckoned with uh, eventually. And what happens, I feel like the middle thing is you have to get the alcoholism treated. You have to get it stopped and um, uh, uh, suspended or whatever, you know, however you want to put it, that has to be controlled, right? Like now I don't mean controlled, like drinking or by you know, it has to be stopped and then an examination of those. And that's sort of where I'm at now. And eventually sometimes sooner rather than later, it depends upon the person and a person like myself, their ability to hammer things out with, all right, you can have the drinking. I'll use the support. I'll use the help, but I got the rest of it. And then you're like, I got, I do not got the rest of it. (laughs) Like, so I think that reckoning with why somebody would need to get hammered to have this opportunity, you know, um, that has to be reckoned with. And that is emotional sobriety. And that is the work that we do for the rest of our days, one day at a time, if you're in that camp. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, after you graduated 
high school and you're drinking, you know, how long did that go on before it didn't? Well, it was within the year, I think that I graduated. I was, I moved out just before I turned 18. I was living with a couple of people that were a little older, had like four of us in an apartment, one of whom had a kid that was like, there's another sign of progression that, that it's like not a game or it's not a, you know, uh, it's not, it's not about it. It's I'm not, it's, this is not an artistic movement. This is like really non-functioning people living, you know, when there's a kid living there, but, um, that was a drag poor kid. I mean, he's still alive and he's doing all right, but, um, so I tried to stop when I was eight. I went to, I think I went to a 12 step meeting um, for drinking when I was 18 the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I had had just a bad night related to drinking and I stopped on my own. And within that, somehow, I think my roommate was going to a 12-step program and was like, you know, you should think about it. And I guess I'd had enough humiliation around this one particular drink, drinking episode, uh, drunk that I was willing to go. Um, but I didn't, I didn't connect right away. I, I felt really like I did whenever I was in a new situation and completely sober completely overwhelmed and what I know now is having hypervigilance reading the room and my mind racing a mile a minute going okay who's in charge what's going on what's this group what's that group who's that person how does this look what's the tone I mean just so it's like if anything message got in there I have no idea yeah so but uh did you ask me how I stopped well, yeah. So, I mean, that, that happens. What was the, what was the last time or what, what, what was different the last time that made you quit? Well, so this time that, um, sorry, I'm having a little, this is vitamin C powder. You know that I don't want to use the name. I don't know what your branding, <laughs> you know, I don't want to get in trouble with the Johnson with- <laughs> with the emergency people no i, I think um that's right it's yeah emergency. <laughs> i don't think we're gonna get in trouble with them that's they're not right. a sponsor but the, they could the, be if they want to the chosen supplement drink of all recovering alcoholics <laughs> you decide if that's good marketing you know yeah um so my last drunk so i, I was familiar with um 12-step programs which i would say is how um, one of the ways that I would say that I, it's a tool that I use uh, various types of those to, to um, support my abstinence, right? From alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I, I got sober uh, when I was like 19, almost 20. And that lasted a year and a half. And in that time, I basically stopped hanging out with 
a few friends, the few, you know, the friends that I had, the places that I went and I, I would go to those 12, would go to different 12 step meetings. And there was a lot of power, like, and I don't mean an unwielding um, manipulative power, but like a, a community and an energy that, that was very um, healing and affirming and fun. And, uh, and I did that for a year and a half. But when people there tried to get me to do like the work, more work parts of, the, of, those, of those programs, um, like the steps, basically, I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to look deeply inside myself. And I also didn't want to, at that time, I was not ready to admit that I could never drink again. And I couldn't even articulate that. But when I look back, I just was like, that seems really too much to admit. But if I can just exist in this place and it's like, you know, I, I couldn't exist that way. You either have to dig in. It's like going to the doctor, the doc, you can go to the doctor and the doctor can give you medical advice for the problem that you came there for. And it, but if you don't try taking the doctor's advice to the best of your ability, then there's not shit the doctor can do for you and go back to the doctor. You're just going to get worse, you know? So, right. um, and that's kind of what happened. And so I, after a year and a half, I went, I went drank again and I, that it was like, my brain broke apart like that. It was so much psychically. It was so is that worse, like mentally and emotionally. And it, um, and also I also left that community that I really liked, but it also just the communal part had stopped giving me any relief. So it was like, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And, um, and then for six years, I drank and um, I started using harder dog drugs, intravenous drugs. A lot of times that was, again, an event. Like some people are like, we're going to go to Disneyland. I'm like, we're going to try crystal meds for the first time. You know, it was like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, that's kind of how I viewed it. But um it just was like, I needed something stronger, either one to enhance the drinking that was going to get done, whether I wanted to or not. Cause I did not like getting drunk at that point. It, mm. it, I didn't like just getting drunk cause I would get sloppy wasted. I would piss myself. I would throw up whatever. I never knew, you know, or a combination of, or a fight I'd get in a fight and, um, or whatever. And, uh, so I needed stronger drugs and that brings its own ecosystem, you know? And, uh, and so finally I moved to, and the quality of my relationships and friendships and the people in my life were like not doing well either. I don't want to make a judgment because water seeks its own level, right? Show you, show me your companions and I'll tell you who you are. So, um, we were all doing shitty and, uh, I was working, you know, a couple jobs and I always had this thing where like, 
people saw potential in me. I don't know if it's because like a sense of humor is often equated with being a good person because laughter makes people, brings people relief. But man, laughter on a, like a sense of humor on a miserable person, that can turn into an ugly thing. So anyway, in that I moved to Chicago as what they call a geographical cure. I'm like, I'm gonna go to a big city and pull my life together. And in a way that kind of happened because what happened was all the people that I sort of, that I blamed uh, for my problems and all the people that I looked to to get the stuff that I wanted were all back home. And I was all alone. And as I like to say, nobody was pissing on myself but me at that point. <laughs> and uh, I had a bad drunk one night. And um, well, so here are the conditions. The day, so the night or the time of my last drinking, I had gone to college. I had started going to college. I was a little later than everyone else. I thought it was really old, but I was 25, you know. And um, I was working at a place at a coffee shop and there were a bunch of film students and entertainment was something that I really, one of the things that I always wanted to do, visual art and entertainment. And, um, you know, I was gonna go to this party and there were gonna be film people, students and just people that I wanted to impress. And I drank with a lot of these people and I drugged with a lot of these people and I made an ass out of myself. We're not even gonna talk about the weeping and the sobbing and the breakdowns and the depression that I had when I wasn't wasted and how hopeless I felt about my job and my relationships and an inability to connect with people and the deterioration of my family. Okay. I just talked about it, but so I finally was trying to pull it together. And during the week in school, I going there on my own terms helped a little like the structure of it. I was interested. I was on the Dean's list. I was doing well, but on the weekends, completely obliterated and like, you know, hanging out with drug dealer, you know, just going to the lowest rent bars. They're like, you don't want to go to that bar. I'm like, that's where we're going tonight. You know, living this dual life as they say. Mm -hmm. And one night I wasn't going to drink and I went out with my friends and or a friend and we, I had a little bit of money and I got a little bit of alcohol and then we went to a festival and one thing and led to another and someone has money and they're buying drinks. And the next thing, you know, I'm passed out in the street in front of my house. My neighbors brought me in and um, the building and put me in my apartment and I woke up, my dog had shit all over because I hadn't taken him out, neglected my poor animal. And uh, I was completely like covered with puke and other, you know, just like it was some dirty and, and um, in my bed and um, which was like a, a foam mattress from a pullout couch on the floor. I didn't even own a bed. Like I was, that was a major purchase I wasn't prepared to do. But <laughs> so um and I woke up and I was like mortified. And I think I was mortified because I remember that I passed out in the street. And that was yeah. what was different. Passing out in your bed or at your friend's house or on a couch and you're still not quite 30. That's ha ha. You can kind of. But when you get a major injury, you end up in a hospital or a shelter. Like I had a friend one time who woke up in a homeless shelter 
um, and wasn't typically homeless, that, that, that changes. And so passing out literally in the street during the daytime was like, oh, that's how we see the people living in the park. You know, this is how you get there. One day you just can't keep it together to keep an apartment to have anybody throw it into. And so I had this thing I was doing in my life that I thought could give me a future that I wanted. And with the, I had the, what they call an, in, some call an inner concession. And I conceded the dialogue that happened inside me was, Laura, do you think if you were to go to this party next weekend and you took a drink, do you think you could keep this from happening uh, again? Like, do you think, and the answer was no, I can't. I, I am, um, I do not control alcohol, it controls me. And that was, that was my concession. Wow. And so I, I didn't have another drink after that. I, um, I stopped that day and um, I called some people that I knew from the time that I had stopped before I'd started making those phone calls and, um, and uh, slowly started making my way towards recovery and being sober, but it was slow. I was not excited to come back. I, I wanted to live. I didn't want to drink, but I wanted an option that I could just do on my own. And it's like, that's not realistic. It just didn't work for me. Just doing it on my own didn't change my attitude. My attitude got worse when I was just not drinking. Yeah. At least not for long. I mean, I know for me, it was, it was many, many, well, I did it by myself for about two months before. And there were still conversations I was having with other people where they're like, Hey, you should go to this meeting. This is here. This is available. Um, this really worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. You're not that different from me. And in fact, you're exactly the same. So give it a shot. And, but you're right. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Ultimately. Um, I knew another friend who um, did it out of spite for like for years and was just like, I'm going to do it by myself. And he's like, and the thing that struck me is he said, I never liked it when I was doing it by myself. I did it out of spite and I hated every minute of it. And then once I found a community, once I asked for help, then it was like, oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. This is what I was looking for, you know, yeah. whatever that community might be, yeah, whatever that group might be. Um, so how many years do you have now? Um, I've been sober and, uh, clean since, uh, August the 12th of 1996. So I'm coming, I'm in my 26th year. Oh, I had 25 last August and, uh, God willing and the Creek don't rise. I'll, I'll make it to 26. And, uh, <clears throat> that's awesome. That's, that's, yeah. that's a good long time. That's, yeah. that's, I feel that's very fortunate. Um, it's the most important I would say my, that is the most important thing in my life. That is for sure. And all the, and all the facets that protecting that, uh, staying that way um, is, is the most important thing in my life. Yeah. So, because yeah. without it, there's no, there's no, and I, you know, there's no life either 
quickly or slowly. Like I have friends that have gone on and some of them, some of them can get things um, and have some semblance of a life. I was not very high functioning. It took me even a long time to be relative, like the functioning of level that I am. It took me a long time to get that without drinking, but that's where working on some of the problems other than alcohol come in, which, um, you know, that is work. That's the work worth doing. So mm-hmm. also, so I feel grateful to be willing to look at that, to do that work. And, um, but it's all of it ultimately keeps me away from a drink, you know? Yeah. The first time, and the first time I worked with somebody and I was going through the steps and I was also just complaining about everything that was wrong with me and the world and all that. And the gentleman who was helping me stopped me and he said, John, there's going to be some things I'm not going to be able to help you with. And you should probably seek professional help elsewhere for these issues, you know, stuff, stuff with my father and other things like that. And that was the first time that I realized that I wasn't, I thought, oh, I'm just going to do this thing and then I'll be fixed entirely. And then it was like, oh shit, this just handles this one thing. And then I can look at all of the other problems I have, you know, created (laughs) on top of all of this, all these years. Sure. And I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good that you did that. I, I wish I'd have been, you know, I was willing to like go, I was willing to take classes at Second City. So I was willing to go and try to get back on that creative path that I was on. Um, I that helped, but you know, to give me guidance in that way. But I was slow to like maybe get outside counseling therapy. Um, but eventually, I I also did some money work. You know, work around money. That's mm-hmm. another area. I just, you know, I didn't have a lot modeled, and and when I was little, um, and when people tried to tell me things, I I just I couldn't I couldn't hold on to the information. You know, there's just a lot of shit going on in here, so. Yeah, um, my I feel lucky that the people that have guided me and helped me have always been a firm, firm and loving hand of the message that they carry versus, I mean, I've definitely been attracted to dogma and like better than, um, you know, messages or messengers sometimes. But ultimately, what I always end up with is somebody who's firm and loving and I'm like what the hell and I'm not firm and loving I am like wishy-washy and angry so (laughs) like I have had to like I you know eventually I would like to be now I feel like now when I try to help others I'm able to uh with whatever you know if we're just having a conversation they're a little curious about their drinking or 
if it's something really specific, they know that I've been in that path or I've worked on this other problem and how it correlates, you know, whatever it is. Now I can be, I can let go more. When I couldn't let go, when I got really attached or like approval, see, I would be, you know, I, yeah, I would just be wishy-washy and, you know, kind of have to watch my attitude. I mean, ultimately I had good intentions, but I just yeah didn't really realize how negative my thinking was. Like you talked about, you know, how negative constant I have a lot of I don't want to say self-pity, but I, I do have sympathy for myself and, or maybe it's like compassion, you know, yeah. that's uh, where I have compassion for myself, which I think I'm at a place now where I can handle that without getting into self-pity. Right. Um, and also, and have, you know, I'm working on self-worth and self-love, which is probably something I could have stunt, but that's just seemed I was so cynical against that concept, but really I think trying to get help for your alcoholism is like, is a radical, is a radical act of self-love, even though it doesn't penetrate those of us that don't live in a sense of our, of, of our value, our our real worth, you know, who we really are. Um, You know, but it that act just trying to save your own life is like in a in a non-destructive way against other people like oh, i'm gonna get out of the pool by pushing like stepping on your head and climbing out. i'm sorry you drowned but i'm alive and that's right like, you know care self-care you know it's not it's not like that so yeah. um i i hope everybody i wish everybody could have that sense of themselves yeah yeah, it's a hard thing to find, especially for alcoholics. It is like a hard thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing that I'll say about alcoholism recovery and 12 steps in that is that takes a limited view of the behavior of others and it and it it um and we focus on you know where we were wrong and we were blaming other people for things that that they didn't you know wreckage we caused right and we get rid of that wreckage there's wreckage that is like as human beings that we inherit from our society our environment our our village and our people and our caregivers and it's it's human it's human to have that but we inherited wreckage has to be cleared away too and it's you know and there's a way to do it without turning that into a weapon to use against ourselves and other people so we can still live in community and have forgiveness and and self-honesty but that's the that's the sort of the that's the next you know that's the next thing we work on once we know our foundation in the sobriety is firm that would be my hope for people and also it links back because that keeps us sober that that stuff too leads us right back to the ability to stay here to not drink and to be happy and 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 to give it away and keep it you know so it's connected yeah um so tell me a little bit about this um keep coming back comedy show okay please 
So it's a variety show, although it's pretty much just been stand-ups. I mean, I know more stand-ups and storytelling. And I would find that some of the comics that come um, actually end up maybe some of them try like, oh, I've been kind of wanting to work on the story, you know, before you extract, like set up a punchline jokes out of it or whatever. Right. Um, so I wanted to do a show of my own. And there's like such a lot of great showcases and not so great showcases here besides the clubs and the indie shows and things in between. I wanted to do, I've been doing stand-up for a decade and uh, I wanted to do a show of my own. And I had a stand-up show at a vegan restaurant before the lockdown. I'm a vegan. And, um, and uh, I did a show there that lasted not quite a year, maybe seven shows before things locked down and we couldn't do it anymore. And so um, when things started to open up again, I wanted to have a show of my own to try it. I, it was time for me to see, you know, and I don't know why I keep coming back. So what I wanted to do, the show is basically about because I'm in recovery and I think because I tend to make fun of the process of my life and getting sober, I wanted comics and other performing comedic performers to come on and do material about something they've gone through. Um, so that's why I say it's a variety show about a variety of recoveries. It's not just for people that quit drinking or drugs. It's also... Um, I give people six to eight minutes and I pay a little bit right now, 10 bucks. That's not a lot. I'm just putting it all out there mm -hmm. or I give them $20 for 10 to 15 minutes, but at least people know what they're getting. And so, um, and, uh, they can come on and they can do material around a process of something. So it has gone from like recovery to process. But like, so I had a friend on the first show, I talked about my alcoholism, my addiction, my recovery. Um, and I had um, my friend, Mike, who's a comic, came on and talked about when he was a teenager, how his lung collapsed and he almost died. And it happened a couple of times. I mean, and how his family was like, yeah, whatever, you know, he's a teenager and he you know, they didn't believe him. I mean, I think they even said to him, you better be dying. And he was. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, who of us did not always want to actually be dying when somebody tried to make us feel guilty. But um, see, I was tough. But uh, and uh, and then my friend Lauren um, talked about. So I had another friend on who was in recovery. He did material about his recovery. Um, and how it affected like his marriage and raising his kids. And then my friend Lauren had just had a colonoscopy. So she was, have, she had jokes about the colonoscopy and about like getting older. And also like, why do they have to use a camera and like the horror, you know, just the discomfort of it. So that was what the first show looked like. So what I try to do is get people to come in and talk about a specific thing. And I think that um and how they recovered or yeah. how they grew it if they can find humor in it and i do let them know there is room in this show to have 
some dramatic tension. Like I have a very funny on the slash show, Lindsay Porter, who, um, who was, uh, went through uh, fertility and adoption, um, and talked about it. And she actually was the first person on the show who, who cried, like had came to tears. So, um, uh, yeah. So, well, that's awesome. So, I mean, I love that it's a storytelling thing too. I mean, I, I just, I had a colonoscopy last, uh, last year, I'm just thinking, and, um, I started writing a little bit about it and I had this sort of working essay. The title was prep wasn't perfect because that was, <laughs> um, so needless to say, so there was, it was, it was a pretty, uh, it was a major, it was a harmless, the whole thing was harmless, but it, there, it was traumatic in, in some very humorous ways. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. so that, I know, I think that's great. And it doesn't always have to be about recovery from alcohol and, um, yeah. you know, 12 step base and stuff like that. So I think that's awesome. And I love any good storytelling night or, uh, you know, performance too. Those are yeah, great. well, we are working. So my co-producer, Kelly, who, you know, it's Memorial Day, so she had family plans. She couldn't be here. But we're we're keep, keeping a, um, a sobriety map because we have a joke like we get a lot of people in comedy and I don't, you know, look, my hat's off to them. Like I know I roll my eyes, but like who quit alcohol, which I think if you're going to be driving around is a great idea, but <laughs> often they do know what they no offense to where you live called California sober which is like I'm going to get off alcohol but I'm going to either use weed or my weed consumption is that's California sober have you heard mm -hmm. that term yes I have okay. yes mm -hmm. now I I don't have a we I had another person who was like 12 steps sober and recovery sober who did a whole bit about California like but I've had a lot of California sober people on there. And really what I want people to do is also impart any tool, positive or negative, really positive. After COVID and the lockdown, after COVID and COVID entered our lives, it's not gone. And we all, most of us went through a lockdown, not everybody, mm -hmm. but most of us, everyone was impacted by the lockdown. Even if you were the town next door, who doesn't lock down, you got affected because if you had to wear a mask when you came to our town or whatever. Right. That's what inspired the show is that I wanted to put a show out there that somebody could come in and that they could laugh, but they could also sit in a room with four other people who were doing the best in a humorous way to tell you how they got through something from A to B. And I've, you know, I need all the help I can get when I'm trying to achieve something. I mean, yeah. positive achievement is just as hard for me as negative, uh, is surviving something negative. I shouldn't say that, but yeah, that's how. So, um, but all right, so we've had California sober. And then my joke is, and if you're still drinking, that's Indiana sober. So, um, and that that was based on, it's not even important, but that's also a little dig on Indiana because it's got some shitty politics. But I have a lot of friends from Indiana, so it's also a way to make fun of them. But then we had a comic come from Boston who's like, well, I'm OCD and I quit drinking. So I could talk about those things. And I'm like, okay, 
And then he's like, yeah, I drink, but you know, I'm probably still going to take acid. So it's like, is that Boston sober? So now we're like, we got to see what the map is, you know, of like sober map. Yes. Yeah. Sober map of like other, like, you know, how people it's all most of it though. The one thing that people try to get out of their lives is booze, you know, sure. Um, the most common thing I see, I work, my day job is in a treatment center. The most common thing most people do is weed. Like that's a really common thing. Weed was not my jam, but, um, Mm -hmm. but alcohol is like, that's the thing. I also see a lot of comics really wrestle with and try to give up, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, it is tough. Um, well, I just want to say thank you so much for, for sharing all of this and, um, as very insightful and helpful. And I, the one, uh, you said the, my favorite was the inner concession. And I was like, Oh, I had one of those. I remember that moment, you know, that it's just, do you want to say what it is real quick or no? Have you said, well, I mean, the inner concession, it was very similar to yours, but, um, I, I was, sitting with my very last beer on the couch and I saw everything. I had just moved into a new place. I had just had, I just bought a, a new car. I had a used car and I just started a new job. And there were these series of events, including driving drunk, drinking at work and stumbling around my apartment or the house while the neighbors or the, uh, the, the roommates were here. And I saw it all disappear. Like I could, I just had this image of it, this vision of it all, like the car being gone, me being homeless and not having this job. And it was like, you need to stop this. I don't know for how long we'll just try a week or two. And that was the last time that was almost seven years ago, but that's, that gave it a name. I didn't, I never had a name for it before when I had that moment of, or I guess they call it a moment of clarity, but inner concession sounds to me more accurate. Well, that's so, a line from um, the 12 step book of yeah. AA as uh, there's a line that that book says that the people, the people who wrote that book believe that they had to concede to our, their, it says we had to concede to our innermost self that we couldn't do something. I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. The part remember but it's like basically that we can't use alcohol safely in any form and that's i saw that around alcohol and then i was lucky that my app my appetite for drugs and i was definitely less um i was less particular i mean i liked a certain strength but um, you know, some people I know wrestle with an addiction to a specific drug, which mm-hmm. has, again, its whole life and identity. And there's probably physical reasons why that drug works with their chemistry and turns on and turns off what it does. But then you have a habit. And I do feel fortunate that my appetite for that went with my drinking. So, um, but, you know, I don't, take any of it for granted so no. that's just my story drugs are yeah. the way I so anyway that that's yeah so I realized I did concede I had a concession it was given to me or I had it I had it, it wasn't something I could the only thing I could say is that it, while I was going to school similar like you had the apartment and the job and the new stuff 
I was seeing a counselor and I went on my own and I was seeing a counselor at a women's health center, like a sliding scale thing. So I was seeking help like again, and she kept talking about my drinking and telling me I needed to go to a 12 step program and go to rehab. So I didn't mention that part, but like, I forget now, like there was someone in my ear that I went to willingly and mm-hmm. got relief talking to her. And the, I think the funny thing is, is that when you need help with a problem and it's a big problem, you are getting help, but your life is still kind of a shit show. You're being helped, but it's like, it's like, this isn't enough, or I wish it would be this way. Well, if I could, if I design the help, it's not going to, it's going to be the, pro, you know, I, I designed the problem sort of like the problem. Mm-hmm. I can't fix the problem that I created. Like I, right. and I did, you know, to that's a sort of an oversimplification. But I, I understand you need to find, there needs to be external help from somewhere. You yeah. need, I need somebody else's brain to help me with because my brain is broken at this point. It, it takes a village to get a child sober. That's yes. what Yes. Yes. Well, Laura, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate this. It was awesome. It was really thank nice you. to meet you and, and nice talk with you. you. Yeah. Come and do your story about your colonoscopy. If you're in going to be in the Chicagoland area, let me know. I, I promise I will. I will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. Our music as always is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah.